Welcome back to the Get Loved Up podcast, your number one resource for inspiration and motivation to live your purpose, make healthy living a priority, and thrive doing what you love. I'm your host, Koya Webb, a small town girl who chased her dreams and caught them, a former track and field athlete who healed using spirituality and yoga, and an entrepreneur who didn't let sexual assault racism, and insecurities dim her light. And now it's your turn to allow these episodes with some of the top voices in spirituality, wellness, and entrepreneurship to inspire you to thrive. Let's get loved up together. Lisa Bilyeu co-founded Quest Nutrition, which grew 57,000% in its first three years. She is also the co-founder and president of Impact Theory Studios, a revolutionary digital-first studio that produces wildly entertaining original content focusing on themes of empowerment. Over the course of her career, Lisa has created a slate of content that has been reviewed more than half a billion times, and she and her husband have been Impact Theory's global audience to more than 7.5 million. As the host of the digital series, Women of Impact, Lisa conducts real uncensored conversations with the most inspiring women. Her book, Radical Confidence, will hit shelves May 10th, 2022, and she lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Tom, and two furbays. And to put it in her words, she freaking loves her life. Lisa! Oh, welcome to the Get Loved Up podcast. Goya! Oh, we've been waiting to do this for a long time. Yes. It's an honor. Yes. I mean, you are the epitome of fierceness. You are the epitome of confidence. I am just so excited. There's so many people out there who are like, I want that thing. I want that thing Lisa has. I want that thing Koi has. And you have really developed your whole brand around empowerment. And we're gonna get to that, but I first want people to know how you started. Really, what you felt like when you were not so confident. So, um, thank you. Thank you for mm-hmm. having me on. Um, all right, so I actually wanna start with when you said that I'm the epitome of confidence. It's all a lie. Mm. It's all a lie, Koya. Because there were so many times even now, having started multiple successful businesses, even now there are moments I feel petrified. Mm. I'm scared, can I swear on this podcast? Okay. Yeah, just keep sure? something Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the beep. Yeah. I am absolutely petrified. Yeah. Internally, the voice in my head is always telling me, what on earth are you doing? You're no good. Even now, yeah. when I went to write the book, I'd already built and co-founded a billion dollar company and I went to write the book. And the very first words out of my head when someone approached me on writing a book mm. was, well, who would buy a book from me? Mm. I actually said that to my husband when he pro- approached the issue. This was a year and a half ago. So I really wanted to start there because the voice in my head hasn't changed. From the age of seven, from the age of 14, where I was getting teased for my looks and I was told my dreams were way too big for a little girl and who mm. do I think I, you know, who do I think I am that I can dream so big? And um, that voice is still there. The only difference is, is that it doesn't stop me. Mm. And that to me is what... I went from the myth that I thought we had to have confidence to start something, to have the life we want. And I realized it was all BS. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I did was radical confidence. It meant I felt petrified. I had no idea what I was doing. There were skill sets I didn't know. I absolutely was inadequate, but I did it anyway. And that's the key, is that I used a, a toolbox, some skills every single day in order to get me to where I wanted to go. Petrified or not, I still did it. 
I love that. I love that. And I think that's such a beautiful thing because we can all make that decision. We mm -hmm. all can be scared, feel the fear and do it anyway. And so before you started, you know, and built the billion dollar company, can we talk about about, I mean, yes. you were a housewife and you talk about it a lot about like how you kind of lost yourself. And a lot of people, especially since the pandemic, has have lost themselves. Mm -hmm. So can you share a little bit about how you felt then and how you kind of made your way out of that situation? Yeah, I think, I'm sure you have found, we are born with a belief system. We've been taught certain ways. So when we start to get into our late teens, early 20s, we have a way that we see the world. Mm -hmm. And to me, it, it always just seemed as fact. And I never questioned my belief system. I never questioned how I was brought up. And so when I think about how I ended up getting stuck, like you said, as a supportive wife, in a supportive wife role, as being a housewife for eight years, there's nothing wrong with being a housewife. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that, like, if that's your dream, if it fulfills you, I freaking applaud it. But like you said, so many of us get stuck in a life that isn't the life we wanted. It wasn't mm. the life we dreamt about and it wasn't the life that we all thought we were going to have when we were those kids that was dreaming big and thinking about what the world could be. We end up slipping into a life. And for me, I got stuck for eight years. And looking back now, how on earth did I get stuck for eight years? Mm. Like, what are those things that are traps for us? And I really do think for me, it was, I thought I would end up being a housewife anyway. And when I look at what I was taught, it's the subliminal messages we all get as kids. Right. My subliminal message was when I would fall on the floor and scrape my knee as a kid and I would cry and my grandmother would come running over to me. She goes, oh, you'll be okay by the time you get married. It's okay, it's okay. Every time I was upset, that was the message. You'll be okay by the time you get married. Wow. Do not think about a subliminal message to the seven-year-old. What is that telling me? Mm -hmm. Is that your life is going to be okay once you get married. That's your end goal. Just make it to marriage and you'll be fine. Then flash forward, I have an argument with my father. I want to go to film school. I want to study film because I want to be a movie director. Mm. Arguing, arguing, arguing for weeks and weeks. Eventually, my dad, in his thick Greek accent, <laughs> turns around and says, you know what, it doesn't even matter. You're going to be a stay-at-home wife in a way. So study whatever you like. Now, in looking at your face, right, eyes wide open, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe someone says that to you. Mm -hmm. Going to the belief system. My dad was brought up in a tiny little village in the mountains of Cyprus where no woman ever got an education because there was no school. Yeah. So his belief system, what he saw was his mum and sister didn't even go to high school. You end up getting pregnant because there was no contraception. Mm -hmm. So he just saw his family, his ancestry, all get women in the family getting pregnant at the age of, you know, very young mm -hmm. and getting married. So when he said that to me, he wasn't trying to be mean. He mm -hmm. wasn't trying to be cruel. But that was his belief system, putting it on to me. So now I get I'm, you know, 20, 21 years old. I meet my husband. I fall in love. And how do I slip into a life that I never thought I would have? It's the messaging. Mm. Now turning it back to confidence, threading everything through, is my belief system put me where I was and I felt like I needed the confidence to make a change. Right. And I didn't feel like I had the right to. I didn't feel like I had the right to ask for a different life mm -hmm. because I had a roof over my head. Yeah. I didn't feel like I had the right to ask for more when I had a husband that loved me. Mm -hmm. And in those moments for eight years ago, I didn't think I had the right or I had the confidence to speak up to say I want more. Yeah. 
And I think going back to your question of why so many of us get stuck, I think it starts from the belief that we have growing up that we're told. It's situational. So we end up being in situations that maybe we tell ourselves, it's not that bad. It's Mm -hmm. not that bad. And for me, it's like, it's not that bad. It wasn't that bad, right? right? I didn't hit rock bottom. And so I just kept making reasons why I couldn't speak up, why I didn't have the right to say something else. And it all comes back down to, I thought I had to have the confidence to make the change. Mm. And I thought that I was asking for too much. And as women, we all know that we think about all of these things. We want to be people pleasers. We want people to like us. We don't want to ruffle the feathers. And so a lot of the time we end up stuck in a life that maybe we didn't want, but we don't feel like we have the right to ask for more. And that conclu- the conclusion to me was, oh, I can love this part of my life and feel very proud and joyful over having a husband that loves me, over having, I moved to America, which was a dream for me. Mm-hmm. And yet I can be profoundly unhappy in this other area of my life where every day I felt like I was living to serve my husband. Mm. And I had every freaking right girl to speak up and say, babe, while I love you, I no longer want this. And mm. I didn't. And it took me eight years mm. to finally say that. Wow. That is so beautiful. One thing I feel like is is really beautiful is how you really see your relationship with your parents and you honor them for their mm. belief system. A lot of people have separated from their families because they're like, you put this on me or, you know, but I love how you're almost taking radical responsibility mm. saying like, yeah, that was my belief because that's what they believe, but it's up to me to decide if that works for me or not. If I want to live their dream or if I want to create a new one. So I love the way you kind of reframe that to like, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility and decide what I want. But the realness of once it's internally programmed, it's unconscious. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, I'm doing what I was supposed to do or what I was meant to do. And we fall into that. And so, so you're here for eight years um, and you love your husband and you're, you're doing the work and you're, you're, you know, loving it, not loving it or completely hating it. Oh, okay. This is amazing because these are the, this is what I love talking about, girl, because it's it's the small nuances that we mm-hmm. have to tap into to address, yeah. right? Because I had the bigger picture in my head. Mm-hmm. My husband's going out to make enough money so that we can make movies. Mm-hmm. So that's where it started. I was like, mm-hmm. of course I can support you. You're going to go out. We're going to do the Steve Jobs effect. You don't have to worry about all the other decisions because Steve Jobs, basically the reason why he always wore a black turtleneck was he he knew he only had a certain amount of decisions he could make in a day. Right. And so he said, why on earth am I going to waste my time and energy making a decision on what I'm going to wear? So Tom and I got together and we said, okay, this is no BS for him, for us to make enough money so we can make film. So in that moment, we Mm -hmm. decided, cool, I'll support you for a year, babe. I had the reasoning. I had the encouragement. I had the goal in mind. I knew what I was doing. We were in it together. And now the day-to-day happens. And the day-to-day is, I'm so freaking bored out of my my Mm. mind. I don't know who I am anymore. Now, this starts to be a stepping stone, right? It doesn't happen overnight. Mm -mm. You never just blink and it happens. It Mm -hmm. becomes this slow nuance that you convince yourself of why you're doing what you're doing. And it's like, I'm doing it for the greater good. And I was was there. I was like, I'm doing this. I know why me and my husband are in it together. And what ended up happening was the the dream never happens the way you think it's going to happen, right? (laughs) That part. Yeah. So I think it's going to take us a year. Now, what happens is after a year, we're not ready yet. So my husband's like, I just need another year. I just need another year. I just need another 
year. Mm. And every year you look at, well, I've done it for this long, I may as well. Mm. Well, I've done it for this long, I may as well. Well, I'm, I've done six years. Is, is that going to be a waste now if I change my life? And you get on this, what I call the hamster wheel. And you're just freaking running because you think you're going somewhere. Mm. And what ends up happening is you end up going absolutely nowhere. Mm. Because you convince yourself. And so going back to every day when I was hating the day-to-day of grocery shopping, putting clothes out for my husband, collecting coupons, all of that was utter boredom. Mm. It was, I, I, I literally, to the point where I'm like, I, I was looking outside of myself to make myself feel a certain way. And that's dangerous. We talk about validation. I was looking outside of myself. I was waiting for my husband to come home to make me feel happy. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for, I would go to the grocery store to maybe find something that would uplift me, to maybe talk to the clerk behind the cashier to like say something funny. It's like, but you convince yourself, this is the, God, this is where, like if we can nail this, we convince ourselves it's not that bad. Mm. And the slow, what ended up happening was, and when you look from the outside of what's happening to the world, right, with like the wars and like when you when you compare it to that, you convince yourself it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. You yeah. convince yourself, well, I'm not in a freaking war zone. Well, I have a roof over, uh, mm-hmm. over my head. And we convince ourselves that it's not that bad. So I ended up living eight years of a life that it wasn't a dream. It was what I call purgatory the mundane, where mm-hmm. I lost everything. I lost my dreams. I lost my hopes. I lost who I was. Because I kept telling myself it wasn't that bad. So when I retell the story, it doesn't sound that bad. Mm-hmm. But people who are in that position right now that are feeling stuck because of COVID, because of lockdown, because of everything we've gone through, mm-hmm. I had to. I thought I had to justify the reasoning for me to make a change. I thought I had to have a big enough reason to ruffle some, fella, some rustle some feathers. Yeah. And the truth is you don't. No. And so the day-to-day was utter misery mm. because I had to, f- I lost who I was. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I know a lot of people listening are going to be like, I'm there. You know, I'm there. I don't know who I am. I don't like what I'm doing. I want out. So what are like, maybe, I know you've done a lot of things and you have like 10 <laughs> no BS lessons, but what would you say personally were some things that really helped move the needle for you, for you to like say, okay, I need to make a change. And and what did you do? Yeah, so I think about, I was thrust into Quest. So it turned out after eight and a half years, I was miserable. My husband was miserable. Um, I joke that like my house was like my own personal fight club. So it's like the first rule of fight club is don't talk about my husband's day because it was that bad. And the Mm. second rule of fight club was don't talk about my husband's day because it was that miserable. So it's like, it became like that. So now when you get to the point where you can't even talk about your day because it's so miserable, there's a problem. Yeah. And in hindsight, I basically said to him, I, I, need, I need my husband back. Nothing is worth, like no matter mu- how much money, no matter what goal we're trying, I want my husband back. Now that sent us on a whole path of trying to explore what is purpose? What is a mission? What does that actually mean? And that turned into my husband and his business partners wanting to start a protein bar company. Mm. Now at the time, I was still the supportive wife. Right. So I, I hadn't even asked for anything else at that point. I was just like, as long as my husband's happy, I will be happy and he's not happy so we need to make a change so it's like we need to make a change what does this change look like it happened to have been quest what we didn't expect is that quest would turn into um would grow at fifty-seven thousand percent and so 
I came from, I'm just going to support my husband because remember, I had the, the mindset that mm -hmm. I'm the supportive, good Greek wife. And that meant just ship bars from my living room floor. Just ship bars. Nice and easy, couple of day. Well, at 57,000%, two years later, I have an entire um, 40, team, 40 people team just in my department alone. Mm. We're shipping out millions and millions of dollars worth of inventory and I have 10,000 square feet of space. So the change that happened for me, I was thrust into an environment that I didn't expect. Right. And that it just grew so quickly that every day I didn't have the luxury of saying, well, I'm scared, so I can't do that. Right. And so now looking back, which I think is the most powerful thing, mm -hmm. in hindsight, what are the things that really keep us stuck? And what I wish I had known that would have helped me get unstuck much quicker in those eight years, it's the fear of failing. Yeah. It's the fear of not knowing something. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the fear of being judged. When mm. I have to look back and say, what are all these things that keep us stuck? What are the traps that we get ourselves into? Yeah. And so to me, it's about addressing those one by one. Right. So when I talk about being stuck and how to get out of it, the very, very first thing you need to know is what, are you, what is that end goal? Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. People say to me, girl, I want confidence so that I can, I want the confidence you have. I want confidence, right, with you as well. I right. want your confidence, Koya. Mm -hmm. What I say is to do what? <laughs> it's like saying I want to be happy. Okay, great. You want to be happy but in what? So mm -hmm. with confidence, confidence isn't the end goal. Right. We don't just say, I want confidence and I'm going to be okay. No, no. You want confidence to tell your boss that you're not happy and you want a pay rise. To tell your parents you no longer want to study that science and now you want to go and be a stand-up comic. Right. Mm -hmm. You want confidence to tell your partner you're no longer happy in this relationship. Mm -hmm. You want the confidence to do something. Mm -hmm. So what I say is forget about the confidence. What's the to do what? Right. What is that end goal? So I want people right now to establish what is the end goal they want to get to. And now it's not about how do I get the confidence, it's how do I get started? Mm. So the perfect example that I can say, let's say in hindsight now, is I've done some public speaking. Mm -hmm. I freaking hate public speaking. Speaking mm. on stage is like what, like the number one fear, even our um, before death. Yeah. People fear public speaking more than they fear actually dying. Mm. Right? So let's just establish how fearful that is right now. Have you done right. public speaking? Yes. Okay, how do you feel about it? Um, I love it, but I have a lot of fear around it. And to your point, it's, I feel like more is the fear of failure, a fear of slipping over your words, so many fears. Right. And it's all about presence. Right. So the, the what do I do? Like, how do I get on stage? How do I build that presence to start with? And then what happens if I mess up on stage? Mm -hmm. All these problems, when I talk about confidence, even if you don't have the confidence, but if my goal, let's say, sorry, let me just back up. My goal is impact. Mm -hmm. So what I establish is getting on stage in service of my goal. Remember, I'm not thinking about my emotions right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about, do I have the confidence to get on stage? Because right now, the voice in my head is saying, no, you do not, Lisa. Do not go <laughs> on stage. You are terrible. You will mess up. So no, I don't have the confidence to get on stage. Okay, great. What's my goal that I've told everyone right now to write? It is impact. Yeah. Okay. These things that I'm fearful of, getting on stage, getting in front of the camera, mm -hmm. do they serve my goal? Yes or no? Yeah. You can just answer like you just said. Yes, it does. Okay, great. I'm so scared about getting on stage that I haven't gotten on stage yet. Is this true? Yes. Okay, no judgment. 
Right now, what is more important to you? Your goal or how you feel about it? Mm. That part. Is it more important to me to protect my ego, protect myself and say, don't go on stage because you don't know what you're doing, Lisa. People are going to make fun of you. You're going to freeze. Is that voice more important than actually creating impact? No judgment. But I want people right now to sit there and really assess what is more important. Mm. Because here's the pivotal moment. This is the fork in the road. Mm -hmm. This is the moment that you say, you know what? My, my ego, the fear of failing, is not more important than impacting people. Great. Now I know I have to get on stage. I've I made the decision. That. Now, again, no judgment. If I say, you know what? The, the thought of getting on stage, the crippling anxiety it's given me just thinking about it, I don't enjoy this life. Mm -hmm. Great. Then I just say, I don't want to get on stage. Mm -hmm. And now in one year, five years, 10 years, when I look back at what my goal was and I look at impact and maybe I haven't achieved it, I can say I did it with my eyes wide open because I chose not to go on stage. And now I'm not beating myself up right. over saying, you can't, you're such a worse, you didn't get on stage, that fear. I'm not beating myself up. Right. I just go, you know what? I decided five years ago, that my feelings were more important than impact. So now when I look that I haven't created impact, I don't, I don't worry about it. I love that. I love that because it's like your success or your impact doesn't have to happen a certain way. Right. Maybe it's getting on stages, but you have an insanely successful podcast, you know, that creates impact. So even if someone like they might look and say, oh, well, this person has a podcast, so I have to have a, mm -hmm. a or this person is speaking on stage, so I have to speak on stage to make impact. But maybe, like you said, if it's crippling, you have anxiety, maybe yours is like, creating a podcast and I love that because it really even though you do both it really opens up people to think how do you like to make impact mm -hmm. right and even if you do have a fear to your point that doesn't have to stop you from your goal so I like how you flip it around what is the goal because there are many routes to the goal so so my personal goal mm -hmm. um so it absolutely is if I have to be very succinct, and this is very true as well, because you're right, in just saying, hey, I want to create impact, what does that actually mean? Yeah. Because here's the truth, I could stop what I'm doing, mm -hmm. I could get pregnant tomorrow, obviously it may not be easy, but let's just assume I could, and I could spend the rest of my life impacting this one child. Mm. So you have to define what that end goal looks like. So to your point, in just saying I want to create impact, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. In saying I don't, I want to live in a world where every single 14-year-old mm. has um, come across content that I have created that empowers them to believe they can live the life they want with radical confidence. Oh, now that, that means that if they've got to the age of 17 and they haven't come across anything I've helped create, I failed. Mm. So I know what age group I'm looking at. Right. I know that it's, it's content. So I have given myself the grace to be, it can be video content, it can be animation, it can be a book, it can be a comic book. So I've left myself open to what I want to create. Mm -hmm. But it's so that it is um, helping them build the mindset that I've had to, that I've spent the last 20 years unwinding. Mm. And so being able to be very succinct like that is very important. But now here's the thing, when I assessed me speaking on stage on whether it served me or not, I realized speaking on save did serve me right. on a global scale, because that's my thing. I want to do global scale. Mm -hmm. But I was too scared to get on stage. So that's the thing between the confidence, because I was like, well, I need to be confident enough. 
But if you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, it doesn't just magically happen. So I said, how do I get on stage? And so I used radical confidence. So radical confidence to me is, what are the stepping stones so that I can actually physically put my foot on stage? Mm -hmm. The first thing was, Lisa, the very next time someone offers you a speaking gig, you say yes. Mm. I didn't give myself the space to think about it because I knew I can get in my own head. And so I take what I know about myself and I come up with a strategy, the radical confidence strategy Mm -hmm. to overcome it. So I said, the next time someone offers, you're just going to say yes. You're not even going to ask what, how many people or where. That was the promise I made my, to myself. So the very first person that reached out, it was TEDx. And I was like, oh God, well, I made a promise <laughs> to myself. I can't say no, but it's TEDx. All right, well, I've said yes. So now here's the thing. I've said yes. And now I'm, I've got the crippling fear of how the hell am I going to get on stage? Mm. I've said yes. So now all the, the reasoning in my head of you want to help that 14-year-old Lisa, it doesn't help actually get your foot on the stage. Right. So how do I get radically confident? I was like, all right, what are the tools I can use to get me on stage? It's music, right? You just played some music before we even started. Music yes. is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It gets you in the my, right headspace. Yes. So I was like, okay, what song is going to be the Lisa Billy hype song? Mm. I'm going to go through all my music and figure out what's the song that I can go, hell F yes. And mine happens to be Destiny's Child Survivor. Oh, I love that song. You listen to the lyrics, right? It's like, who can argue with that? So now I've got my hype song. What are the other tools that I can use to get my headspace in the right mindset? Because I've still got the crippling fear. Mm -hmm. It's jewelry. It's my hair. I wear this Wonder Woman necklace on purpose. So when I look in the mirror, Mm -hmm. I'm giving myself a message that I got this. Wonder Woman's got this. I got this. This is the language I speak, right? Yeah. So find what language speaks for you. Mm-hmm. I wore Supergirl knickers mm. so that, you know, people get anxiety when they go on stage. So people may not know, you, you need to sometimes pee like 50 times before you get on stage. <laughs> that nervous pee. Nerv- so I was like, what is the small subliminal message I can give myself before I go on stage? And so I started dipping into my toolbox of what are all the things I can do, gearing up to it. For um, every single day, from weeks and weeks, I had an alarm in my phone that just said, you got this. Mm. And I would spin it, close my eyes. I, I call it, you got this roulette. I would just close my eyes and do it like a roulette and just spin it and then just leave it. And weeks leading up to me getting on stage, I was reminding myself that I've got this. Mm. So now you can see that I went from someone that was totally petrified. Right zero confidence, has the mindset of the 14-year-old that doesn't believe she's good enough, that doesn't believe she's got any right to be on stage talking to people. Mm-hmm. But I use tools to get my ass on stage. Yes. And I love that you, it was just like one step at a time. Yes. You just keep putting, you don't have to know all the 10 things. Yes. Just try one each day that can get you closer to your goal. I love that. And I feel like the steps that you also, and the lessons that you share in the book can also help people. Maybe they might not use all of them, but maybe one or two of them mm-hmm. can be the ones. I also love music. Music, I like it just gets me high. Whether I want to be happy or sad mm-hmm. or just however I want to feel, music is a thing. Um, and I like that you have jewelry. Um, of the lessons in your book, do you have your favorite? Like, what are your favorite two that you're like, I pretty much do these two all the time when I feel fear? Yeah. Every time, because a big part of my fear is failing, Mm -hmm. right? We don't want to do it. And there's different types of failing. There's, especially with what we do, there's public failing. Yeah. 
where everyone sees you crash and burn. Yeah. And then you've got the failing where no one sees. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the funny thing. I think they're both as bad as each other. Mm. Because when no one sees, the instinct, right? I get it. No one wants to feel this thing. So the instinct, just, just sweep, sweep it under, like, sweep it under the rug. No one saw it. Come on. You know, like, yeah. like no one saw it. <laughs> oh, I'm good. She puts it like that didn't happen. Yeah. The yeah. problem is you don't learn from it. Mm -hmm. The public's um, failure means you have to address it. Yeah. So while I recognize that some of them, like the, the, the private failure doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel good, but you can hide it. I, want, I worry that that becomes more of a trap for us because mm -hmm. we're not learning. So going back to your question for me is like the biggest lesson that I've learned, I repeat to myself every single time is every time I fail, what's the opportunity? Every time I literally fall on my face, I used to be like, I can't believe it. I'm so bad. See, I knew that I shouldn't have started this. I told you that you were no good leads, right? The voice in my head. Right. Even now, it doesn't matter how many successes, because the failures and the mess ups still sting. Mm -hmm. And I can't get rid of the sting. So now I recognize that even if it's a private failure, I must address it. And if it's a public failure, I must still address it. And the hard thing is when it stings is to immediately say, where's the plus? Where's the lesson in this? Mm -hmm. And it all came back to the most, like I think one of the most hysterical and um, surprising moments of my career was at Quest Nutrition, it was the early days. We were all, um, every single penny mattered, every single penny. And it was early on, we had like maybe three other employees and they were all making a batch of protein bars. So it was just big enough where we didn't have to be there to actually hand make them all ourselves. And one of the guys comes running in and he's got like this, like most, he looks ghostly white and he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I've messed up. And we're like, oh my God, what's happened? And he's like, I've messed up an entire batch. Now, at the time, when you're a startup, it was $5,000. It was like a week about to close the company. Like, this is like the most catastrophic failure that we could possibly have. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going into panic mode. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, are we about to shut the company? Does this mean that we lose our house? Am I a failure as a boss? Like, it, this is all on me. I can't believe this has happened. What's going Failure, failure, failure. Mm. Extreme, like, my mind goes into catastrophic Companies like burnt to the down to the crisp. And my husband, who's cool hand Luke, is like, let's see what we got. Mm. So we walk into the facility and we've just got these tubs of like this mix of protein bars. And he's like, all right, I'm so sorry. He's like, we were about to do two patches. One was peanut butter. So I put the peanut butter flour in. I put the peanut butter protein powder in. I put in all the things and then I grabbed the, the flavoring but it was the next flavor that we were about to mix. So I grabbed the berry flavoring and put it in the peanut butter batch. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so it's all ruined. And we're like, oh God, we're gonna have to trash this. This is terrible. And we're like, oh God, okay, well, let's just try it. And as we're trying it, someone's like, this tastes like PB&J. Mm, yes. And being British, I didn't know what PB&J was. <laughs> So I was like, can someone educate me on what that means? Right. And so it was like, well, peanut butter and jelly, you put them together, it creates this yeah. flavor combination. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, it tastes pretty damn good. So as we're standing there in this catastrophic failure that we're like, does this potentially ruin the company? We're like, well, what if we just sold this, put them in plain wrappers and pretended it was a new prototype as a flavor of a new protein bar? Mm -hmm. So we're like, all right, let's just, let's just do it. Okay, well, it's either that or trash it. So we started wrapping them in silver foil, like it's like a blank mm -hmm. thing, put them in blank uh, cardboard boxes, 
printed out a letter on my Staples printer and basically said, dear customer, this is a new protein bar flavor we're trying. We would love your feedback. We announced on Facebook, Facebook that we've got a limited offer <laughs> on, on PB&J flavor. People lost their minds, mm. lost their minds. We sold out like that. Wow. Before we knew it, we shipped everything out. And because the flavor profile, the nutrition was still the same, we could legally sell it because you're not allowed to legally sell um, food without the nutrition value. But it was just the flavoring that changed, nothing yeah. else. So we literally just used everything the same. We sold out. People were going nuts. Before we knew it, people were receiving it, blasting it on social media. It was the best protein bar they'd ever tasted in their lives. Mm. So then what it was doing was fanning the FOMO flame of all the people that didn't get the protein bars. And they're like, I want to try this flavor. Yeah. Before we knew it, I think it was something like within two months, we, we did a design of the wrapper. We got wrappers printed. We got boxes printed. We started to sell it. It became our number one protein bar on the market. Wow. That is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. So that yeah. story, anytime you think and your mind goes to, it's catastrophic. There's no way out. There's so much failure. Who do I think I am? All, all the negativity immediately switch it, immediately switch it to the idea of how can this be the most amazing thing that has ever happened? Mm. And that flip of the mentality, look, not always you're going to be right. Sometimes it is the most ca catastrophic thing you've ever seen. Right. But sometimes, girl, it can be the best thing. And sometimes that failure can turn into your number one hit. Yeah, it's so true. It could be, a, even if it doesn't turn out to be such a success as yours did. I mean, now I'm going to be thinking, okay, how can I make this peanut butter and jelly? <laughs> um, but I feel like sometimes when it's catastrophic, there can be so many lessons learned. Yes. And if we look at life as dual, you know, day and night, dark and light, we're constantly in this cycle of life and death, like, you know, feeling and then learning and then picking ourselves. Because you learn like, okay, with mistake, it can become a blessing. Mm -hmm. You know, with something that seems catastrophic or being in this uh, amazing relationship, but not feeling very fulfilled, how that can give you the power to do something different, which um, that's kind of where I want to go next. So what gave you two things? I want to talk about what encouraged you to start your podcast oh. and, and Women of Impact and also what encouraged you to write this book. Oh, thank you. Um, so Women of Impact really stemmed around having built impact theory, having really been behind the scenes a lot. Um, I had gone from being um, a housewife to an entrepreneur. I had gone from thinking I was going to serve my husband for the rest of his our lives. I mean, again, and this is me, this isn't even a him thing. Me thinking I would serve him, me thinking I would have um, four children and that would be my life. And then realizing, oh my God, I'm capable of more. Yeah. I'm capable of more of than what I was told I could do as a kid, mm -hmm. of what the belief system that everyone told me I was capable of. And I was like, and I'm now in a situation where I'm building impact theory, we're behind, I'm behind the scenes, and I'm meeting so many incredible people. And their stories, almost every woman I met was like they had the negative mindset and they didn't believe it or they fell on the floor. You know, they um, were either in dire straits or they had certain situations. And I'm sitting there in awe of them, mm. in awe. 
And I'm like, we need to be saying more of this. Like, what would it have been like, going back to the 14-year-old girl, what would it have been like if I had been listening to these these women when I was 14? Maybe I'd realize I wouldn't have to be perfect. Maybe it would have helped me not slip into a life of what I like to think of as wasted eight years of my life that I'll never get back. Mm. And so I I started to think about how do I, I I now have a platform, I now have a company that has a studio, we built a studio. So how can I use my mission and my purpose with what I've been doing all this time in a way? And so it really started to be, well, let me start a podcast. But I was too insecure to do video. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to do my, I'm going to do an interview with my friends, babe. It's just going to be something small. I'm just going to call them up. I'm going to do a Zoom. This was, you know, three and a half years ago. And so I convinced myself that it'd be like a no big deal podcast. It's just, just <laughs> my mates. Um, because I was petrified. And because the voice in my head was like, Lisa, who do you think you are to have your own show just because your husband's amazing at it, just because you built the company, just because you know how to build a set, doesn't mean you know what you're going to be like in front of the camera, right? Like all of these things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, set the bar low, Lisa. Set the bar low. Now I want to punch myself in the face. Like, mm. why do we set the bar low? Yeah. Set the bar high and mm-hmm. bust your ass to exceed it. And if you right. don't, be proud that you freaking went for gold. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my attitude now. But back then, the insecurity, the like, what ifs? What if I fail? What if I fall on my face was so crippling that I put the bar so low so that I could feel better about myself about exceeding it. Yeah. Because I was more worried about my own ego than the goal. Mm-hmm. I was worried about, well, I want to feel good about myself, so let me set this bar really low so I can do it. Yes, I love that. I would often ask people, like, don't think, what if I fail? Think about what will you do when you fail, if you fail, making plans for that. And so in your mind, when you're like, okay, now I've I've, I've been successful. I've been an entrepreneur. I've had this wildly successful supplement company. I have this wildly successful podcast. And, And like you said, you were nervous about the book. What really got you over your fear of like, I have enough to say and I want to write a book. Yeah, so, um, and so by the way, it was my husband that was like, babe, why are you just going to do audio? We've got cameras here. Uh-huh. And he was the one that was like, even if you're scared, you don't ever have to put the video out. Yeah. And that was almost like a bit of a safety net for mm. me. I was like, oh, I guess I don't have to. So that got me comfortable in front of the camera. And I love, I'm such a 90s girl. One of my favorite movies was The Karate Kid, Wax On, Wax Off. Yeah. Like practice so freaking much yeah. that when it comes time to it, you don't even, it doesn't phase you. So going to the book, it had all kind of led to, now I had really stepped into it. I started getting front, comfortable in front of the camera. I started getting comfortable on stage because I had my North Star is all impact on those young girls. Yeah. So my North Star is that every time an opportunity came my way, I asked myself, does this align with with my North Star because we can all get very distracted with the shiny objects over here. So does everything impact the 14-year-old girl? Does this impact? Yes, okay, then I'm going to do it. Mm. So when it came to the book, does the book impact? Does it have that through line? Yes. But then I was like, who the hell do I think I am writing a book? So I pause and now I like to call, which actually ended up writing a chapter about it, which is like, make a negative voice, you bitch, and you're beer. Yes. Your BFF. <laughs> I love so, that chapter. She's the mean girl in my head that is saying to me, who the hell do you think you are writing Mm -hmm. the book? You don't know who the, um, you've never written a book before. But now by me making her my friend, Mm -hmm. I put my arm around her. I give her a cuddle. And I'm like, so what are you trying to tell me? She's like, well, I just told you, you don't know how to write a book. And I go, you're right. Thank you, friend, for telling me. I have zero idea how to write a book. Mm 
-hmm. And to pretend that I know because I can do other things is like being blind to it. So I'm like, all right, my negative voice is telling me I have zero idea how to write a book. Then you better learn, Lisa. Mm -hmm. And so if you say yes to this, going back to having the long-term goal, yes, I'm going to write the book. Okay, I have a year to write it. Well, how the hell are you going to learn? Give yourself the grace that you're learning and this is day one. Mm -hmm. We don't do that enough. We don't give ourselves enough grace. Mm-hmm. It's day one. Yeah. Day one, you first did your makeup. Day one, you first tried to um, tie your shoelace. Day one, you first tried to walk. Day one, you first tried to eat. Guaranteed you got half of it on your face as a kid. <laughs> right? But yeah. for some reason, again, we don't give ourselves the grace Mm-mm. as we're adults. Yeah. So I just said, give yourself the grace to enter writing a book like day one where you have zero idea what you're doing. And all you know how to mm-hmm. do, Lisa, is write an Instagram post. Yeah. Okay, cool. All I have now to do is write an Instagram post. So now how am I going to learn? I'm not going to go in there thinking that I, I'm, oh, I'll figure it out. No, no, no. You better get a plan together because that's how you're going to be able to do it with radical confidence. Mm. Have a plan and follow the plan mm-hmm. because every time I feel like I'm not good enough, every time that imposter syndrome seeps in of like, oh my God, I can't believe you've got all these friends who have written amazing books and you think you can write a book. Have a plan that you stick to so that that negative voice doesn't get in the way. So the plan was great. Ask the experts. Have a list of all my friends that know how to write a book. Call them up and have a list of questions. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I got Mel Robbins on the phone. I got Marie Forleo on the phone. I got Jay Shetty on the phone. I got Brendan Bashard on the phone. And I literally wrote a list of questions. Mm-hmm. What am I about to face? What are the things that I should know? What are the things that are about to surprise me? What's the best thing? What's the worst thing? What, how, what's the structure you think of writing a book? Are there any books you read on how to writing a book? What's the, mo- the biggest surprise? What did you wish you had done differently? I just wrote a list of questions. Yeah. And I went in as the learner. Mm. I didn't go in thinking, Lisa Billy knows how to write a book. Lisa Billy has zero idea how to write a book. <laughs> but I'm the learner. Yeah. And I've got the goal. Mm-hmm. Write a book in a year. And so step one in the plan of my radical confidence tool belt Step one, ask everyone you know. Mm-hmm. Step two, arrange your schedule that allows you to keep learning. Yeah. So that meant I had to look at my calendar, I had to look at everything I do. I run a show, I have a company, I am a leader, I have, you know, we have all these different um, things going on in the company. Mm-hmm. All right, look at my calendar. Start taking things off your list. What are all the responsibilities, Lisa, that you have that now you're going to train someone to take over because you can't be everywhere because we all know burnout is real. You've, I've been there before. Mm-hmm. So I just literally put in these a- this action plan over a period of a year of going, where's your time going? How much are you learning? How much are you giving yourself grace to be the student? How many people are you, you know, practicing? Like, asking questions to mm-hmm. how many revisions are you doing are you practicing because here's the key even doing all that and here we are sitting talking about the wonderful book yeah i've also set up my own mindset that if the book doesn't do well mm-hmm. going to validation right. going to my worth i knew the traps and i've done the mindset and my confidence what hits us what really knocks us for six with our confidence is when we have a a massive failure Mm -hmm. right where we've worked and we think that we've done everything and we go against the fear and we're like but we're going to do it anyway because we've heard what lisa's speaking about we're going to do it we're going to do it and then at the end you think you're at the goal and it crashes and burns Mm -hmm. what then 
Are you going to have taken that entire year and are you going to think the entire year was a failure? Are you going to look back and say, see, that's why I don't start? Mm. And are you worried that I would get trapped if the book doesn't do well, that I would take it to mean Lisa isn't good? Mm. What I did for the book wasn't good, that I'm no good. Right. And I knew that's another trap we all fall into. Mm-hmm. So I said to myself, what am I going to put in place in my toolbox right now? What am I going to get out so I don't fall in the trap of the book being a dictation of my worth? Mm-hmm. And I said, I need to say, put the plan together. And yeah. by the end of it, did I do it? Mm-hmm. Did I show up? Yeah. Because once I've put that plan together and I go back and look, And if I'm like, well, I didn't do that because I was too worried. Oh, well, I didn't actually do that because I, I want to, I rather watch TV. Well, I didn't do that because I, I was too scared. If I look back and I didn't do my plan and the book didn't do well, I've got myself like, well, at least you didn't show up to be the person you said you were going to be. Mm-hmm. How do you expect that to do well? So now what am I going to learn? Be the person you said you were going to be next time. Put in a plan and stick to it. So I'm going to have learned from it. Right. I think that's so beautiful. Um, and, and what really just gave me the chills is that something in your life you set out to a goal and not doing it does not define your worth. Yes. You are worthy, whole, complete, brilliant, fun, excite, all these things that are just you and your creative. But how the book sells, of course, yeah, you're going to be happy if it does well. And like, eh, what, a, what could I do differently if it doesn't? But I love that message of it doesn't define your worth. Because it's so easy to get caught up in allowing it to define you. Mm-hmm. Because the feelings are real. This was a goal and you fell on your face before the finish line, you know? Yeah. And, and the game, the race is over, yeah. you know? It's like running a track and field race. You can't get up after you hit that hurdle and expect to be first. Yeah. It ain't happening for you, you so know? True. And so, but if you didn't, you're still a great athlete. Mm-hmm. You might have been number one, but you didn't win that race, even though you were good enough even though you're fast enough. And I just love that because I feel like people need to take that home. What you do doesn't define your worth. Yeah. And that's- I love that. And that's the thing that, thank you for like, really that analogy was great as well. It was like the run, because it's like, I don't want people to um, misinterpret what I'm saying. I want to be number one. Yeah. I am fighting and I am going every day. I am working Mm -hmm. for this book. Like it is, there's no tomorrow. I'm gunning for number one. Yeah. Like I don't set the bar low, mm-hmm. but what I don't do is beat myself up if I don't reach it. Right. Because I say I'm gunning for number one. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't, did I do everything possible? And if the answer is yes, then hell yeah, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm going to say this does not define your worth, Lisa. And what you're going to do now is learn from it. Mm-hmm. And in the past, it would have knocked me to my th- to my knees, I would have been embarrassed. I would have said, I'm never going to gun for number one again. I'm never going to say that out loud again because now everyone saw you fail, Lisa. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm still going to freaking call my shot. Yeah, I'm pointing, I'm calling my shot because you need to. Mm-hmm. If you want to get there, doesn't mean you're always going to get there. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get there, freaking call your shot. Yeah. That's so powerful. Uh, I know you're inspiring so many people listening. And I got a couple more questions that I want to ask you, some personal things, just to give people a little bit more of Lisa, because I love and adore you. And I want to kind of get to like, what is like some of the books? Because like you said, you ask those questions of these people that inspire you, have done the great things. And what are some of those things that were most impactful? Like what were your, the top three books that have really Mm. helped you 
become, you know, this unapologetic, fierce being that you are. Okay. The very first book that came to mind is a book called Captivate. Mm. It's a friend of mine called Vanessa Van Edwards. She wasn't a friend. Her book came out. My husband had her on a show and I was like, I'm obsessed with this woman and how she thinks because she's she calls herself um, a behavioral scientist. So mm. she looks at how we behave. She's actually, she calls this herself a, um, a, recover, a recovering awkward person. Oh, wow. So she has social um, anxiety. Mm. And so in order for her to overcome her social anxiety, she became a scientist and would study body language mm. and studied how we talk, how we present ourselves, what dictates someone that's confident and what dictates someone not being confident mm. and how all of this impacts how someone perceives you and impacts how you perceive yourself. So I just went into, the reason why I loved her book so much was it got me out of my own head. Mm -hmm. It got me out of worrying about whether I thought I was good enough or not and just gave me the tactics and tips to actually act. So I actually put an entire chunk of her book that I took and did, I went to this Gary V event. Gary V invited me and Tom to an event. Tom said he couldn't go and I still wanted to go. Mm. I was so petrified to go by myself because I was traveling by myself. It was like my first business gig by myself. Yeah. And I was like, I'm petrified, but I know I need to go. So I picked up her book, Captivate, and there's an entire section in it that talks about when you go into a party environment, mm-hmm. the different zones. You've got like the social zone, mm-hmm. the sideline zone, and then the like entry zone or something like that. Mm-hmm. And these zones say, if you want to meet someone and you want to start um, socializing, this is where you should stand. This mm-hmm. is what you should drink. So I'm like, okay, go to the bar <laughs> and get a hot drink. Got it. So no matter how scared I am to walk into the event, she told me to walk to the bar and get a hot drink. So I walked to the bar and got a hot drink. Mm. So her book is so was so mm. fundamental in giving me the tactics yeah. on what to do. Um, the second book that came to mind is The Female Brain because it allowed me to understand my own brain and not judge myself for things. Because right. if you hear, like I say that a lot, I don't like judging myself because those are the things that helped me, um, mm. held me back. So when, for instance, you know, maybe I'm more emotional today than I was three days ago mm-hmm. or whatever, I used to beat myself up because I wouldn't see Tom getting emotional. I could see him being super even keel in business meetings. And for me, I would fluctuate. I was like, well, hang on a minute, you got hormones, you got, you know, estrogen, and the mm-hmm. estrogen affects the way your brain functions. And so I didn't think of it like that. I was always judging myself for being too sensitive. And I would get frustrated with myself that I would get more annoyed on one day. And I didn't really realize, I understood hormones, but I didn't really realize how your hormones impacted your brain and your brain chemical and how you would perceive things um, throughout, as a woman throughout your life. So being mm-hmm. from going through puberty to going through, um, you know, your adult life, pregnancy if you get pregnant and then menopause and how much your brain changes. And so like women who are pregnant, they joke, right? Whereas, oh, she's acting crazy again. And the truth is, if you actually examine what happens to a woman's brain when she's pregnant, it's insane. It like shrinks like 40% or something crazy like that. Haven't read the book in a while, but I'm like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. now I understand. And now imagine us using the word crazy Mm. with a woman who is having brain shrinkage yeah and you're calling her crazy mm-hmm. but that's not nice it's you... creating an entire human yes. being in their body yeah yes it's sad and so now i started to really go what is happening to our brain mm-hmm. how are we using language around what's happening to either undermine diminish how we're feeling and then how can i use that 
as my superpower to know. So now I just know, okay, well, your brain, just like your hormones, have these ebbs and flows, and there are going to be times that you're more confident and, and times that you're going to be less confident, depending on your cycle and depending on how those hormones, you know, push and you, how that even impacts your brain. So I, it li- literally that book blew my freaking mind. Mm. So those were the two books that came to mind. And then the third book I think I would have to say is Carol Dweck's Mindset. It's like, to me, that is the fundamental understanding of if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't. And it's mm. like, to, to believe would dictate everything. Yeah. And in fact, I probably should have started with that as the first book to read. Mm. Because um, if you don't think you can change, if you don't think that your mind is malleable, if you don't think who you were yesterday um you can be a different person, yeah. then you're not going to take the steps that are needed to read the books that I just said to then put into the actions that is needed in order for you to be the hero of your own life and have radical confidence. Ashe. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so good. So very good. Thank you so much, Lisa. This has, this has been so incredible. You are so incredible. I'm just so grateful for you. And also, I have to say, y'all, all this, I'm not that into NFTs, but this woman <laughs> has gotten me into the metaverse, into NFTs, and you're just doing so much uh, empowerment when it even comes to that space and women. And I just thank you so much for being so empowerment, standing in your power to inspire so many young girls, old women, everyone to really like just be their truth. So thank you so much. Well, big shout out to you for being radically confident to enter the Web3 space and the NFTs when it's a world that right now we're still exploring. And that's the thing is like so many of us are fearful to get in this space because we don't know it. And the confused mind says no. And so, you know, what we're trying to do collectively is going, how do we start exploring in this world with radical confidence, not saying that we know everything. In fact, we're learning as we go. But having the discussions now, starting to speak up about it, starting to talk about it, allowing people to start asking questions Mm -hmm. and really ask the questions that even if you, you know, Um, you're worried about how that may look. It's like you can ask the question, not know the answer, Mm -hmm. or ask the question, worry about embarrassment, but then find the answer. Yeah, I love the questioning because it's like if you don't ask the questions, then you're just in the dark. Mm -hmm. But if you ask the questions, maybe you're still in the dark, but maybe you walk to the light. Maybe you find the light. So thank you so much for your inspiration. Um, One last question. If you one day could just like wave a wand and you wake up and it's Lisa's world, what would it look like? Mm. A world where every woman believes she can have the life she wants if Mm. she's willing to take a hard look at her mindset and her actions and then be willing to take the steps that is needed to have the life they want. It's like, because I don't wish for everyone to already have it Mm -hmm. because the lesson, oh my God, the lesson in the failures and the falls are so freaking powerful. I wouldn't want to take that away from them, even though it would feel nice in the moment. Um, So I really think it's the giving people the radical confidence to take that step in the first place. Because let me tell you, when, especially us women, when you realize how freaking powerful you can be with just this, the mind and the freaking heart. Yeah. No stopping us. No stopping us. And I I just have to speak to what you were saying before because it really resonated with me about the feelings and the sensitivities. And I think that's important to note because we as women have these sensitivities when we're with child at different times of the month because we help alert 
the other part mm-hmm. of the family, the mouse, who not as sensitive to say, oh, something's not right. I'm, I'm not okay. And that helps us create a safer environment for everybody. Safer environment for a baby, safer environment for whatever community you're in. So I just think some things that we might think, oh, this is so annoying. <laughs> this is annoying. Why do I have these, mm-hmm. these emotions once a month? And why, does, why is things happening to my body? But they're a blessing in disguise. Like even the failures can be a blessing if you really know what they're for and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today um thank you all so much for tuning in if you haven't already go ahead and leave a review let us know how did you like this episode do you love lisa as much as i love lisa (laughs) um leave a review and if you had some great takeaways tag lisa tag myself on social and let us know your favorite takeaways and lisa where can people find you and where can people get your book, Radical Confidence? Yeah, oh my God, quiet. So this woman is so freaking amazing. I adore you so much. Thank you for having me on. Um, and thank you for introducing me to your audience. Like yeah. what a pleasure and honor. Um, if you guys want to follow me on social, it's Lisa Bilyeu, B-I-L-Y-E-U. And then if they want to get the book anywhere, radicalconfidence.com, Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, anywhere and everywhere books are sold. Mm. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Until next time, love yourself, love others, and love the world one day at a time, one breath at a time. Peace and love. I just want to take a moment to say thank you for being part of the Get Loved Up community. I like to share topics and people making a positive impact in the world, and your feedback means the world to me. If you haven't already left a review, please leave a five-star review and let me know what you want to hear more of on the show. I'm here for you, and together, we're making the world a better place, one day at a time, one show at a time. Thank you for listening.